Hello, my name is David Coletta, and I'm the senior leader at Mission Community Church. Before you begin watching the Sermon of the Week, allow me to pray that you might encounter God right there where you are. Father, I ask that your spirit will be present right where people are watching this video. May they be receptive to the voice of your spirit as they watch in Jesus' name, amen. From all of us at MCC, may God bless you as you watch this week's message.
I felt the competition rise when Robert went straight for the jugular. When he shared a couple of months ago and he put his fish picture, that was a shot at me because he knew I like to fly fish. And then Dave, David steps up and shows his fishing picture. And I'm thinking, well, okay, but then we'll bring it. Now, that rainbow, that's a nice rainbow, but it, it isn't as big as theirs. But those are smart fish in that river in the Holston. Uh, so I just had to bring my fish picture and put that up there as well. So there it is. There it is. I'm just really grateful. Lola and I are really grateful to be a part of MCC. Uh, we want to be in a body that's real. We don't want to play church. We want to be alive in Jesus. We want what happens here to be reflective and instructive to our life when we walk out those doors. We want to be with people that are hungry. Amen? I think that's why you're here too. I do. And we're really grateful for MCC. Grateful for all of you guys. I'm grateful for things like... Uh, like Kim, who would get up here and take the time to prepare herself to communicate with us. And those guys do a great job, don't they? And you know, I just sit here and I go, communication's important. That's not small-time stuff. It's and, and what they do is they, ca they just capture people as they come and as they're part of this. No, you're a part. We're, we're a family, Right. And so, hey, I, I learned that when the meal was over, I got up and took the dishes to the sink. Like, it didn't, mom made the meal, I come get it, and I walk out and I do what I, no, I'm part of this. And I just see how many people, you encourage me so much the way you're so faithful in your serving. And just taking care of people, our hospitality. Team. You know that people that come and become a part of this church, one of the number one things as we get feedback from them of why they want to be a part of this church is because of the way that people treat them when they walk in the door and when they're here. Isn't that a great hallmark? I mean, like if I could pick, I'd go, yeah, I want that. I want that in our church. Just really grateful. Married to Lola for 43 years and she, ha she hasn't killed me yet. Like uh, Ruth Graham was asked uh, in an interview one time, have you ever considered divorcing Billy, and she said, divorce, no, murder, yes. So uh, I'm grateful for Lola. We have two sons, Mitch and Luke. They're married, um, know the Lord, walking after him, and they have two grand. They each have two sons, so we have four grandsons, and we love our family. So David came to me and uh, after a, one of our gatherings, and he said, hey, would you be willing to share on October 23rd. It's the 23rd today, right? Yeah, and he, he said, would you be willing to share? And immediately I said, yes. Because there's, I already had a word percolating that I felt like the Lord had for us. So just want to let you know that this has been stirring and I'm bringing this, and I believe this is a word for us as a body, okay? So I submit it to you that way. Um. And it's about sharing the gospel. Now, I work with a missions organization, and we teach people, coaches, how to use the environment of soccer and the role of a coach to build meaningful relationships with youth 
a trusting relationship, often in situations where people may not be inclined. In fact, we work with Elam ministry, and I've been to Turkey numerous times, working directly with their churches and teaching. They now have sports ministry. You have to understand, every single person we work with there used to be a Muslim. Sometimes I can't get my head around. I'm, I'm with this many people, maybe at a church, and I'm looking, and they're worshiping their guts out, and I'm going, man, every one of them used to go to the mosque, and they've all encountered this man that has changed their life. It's, it's stunning. I've met that man that was in prison for five years, sat and had lunch with him, and he told me what it was like. When he first got there, he was in solitary confinement for a year, a six-by-five cell. I would have to sleep catty-cornered. They had a light on, and he never knew when it was light or day because they knew he was like one of the fathers of the church in Iran. And he was in there for before he got to come out and interact with other people for one year because of Jesus. The guy's, the guy's remarkable. I mean, I'm sitting here having lunch with a guy, and I just feel like a worm you know, with this guy. These people are stunning. They love Jesus. It's on the line for them. What a privilege to be around them and serve them. They now have sports ministry in 24 cities across Turkey with thousands of Muslim youth connecting with a Christian coach that loves them. It's a neutral setting, and hundreds of Iranians and um, Afghans have come to Christ. Whole families, grandmom all the way down to the little kid. It's awesome. But I want to talk to you about sharing the gospel. I've sat where you're sitting, and when, when people come up and they say, usually it's an evangelist that's going to talk about this, right? Because that, that's all evangelists think about. They get up in the morning, think about sharing the gospel, and at lunch they're thinking about it, and supper, and then they go to bed and they're thinking about sharing the gospel, right? And so when they come and they talk to you about it, I, I don't know about you, but I've been in your seat, and somebody's going to talk about that, and I get uncomfortable because I, I know what they're going after, and I'm going to feel so stinking guilty by the time this guy's done. <laughs> you ought to be, because they think we're all like them. They have a gift. That is so unique and it's special. This is kind of what we think of. I got a little video clip. So this is usually what you think of when somebody says we're going to talk about sharing the gospel. At a given moment, a given signal, he's coming back to this earth to set up his kingdom. And what a kingdom it's going to be. It'll be a world in which there will be no tears and no sorrow and no death. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no war, there'll be no police forces, there'll be no armies. It's going to be a glorious world ruled by one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's alive. I've given my life not to a dead Christ, but to a living Christ. And I'm following a living Savior. And he's given me a song to sing. He's given me a flag to follow. He's given me something to believe. I have reason for existence. I know where I've come from. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. Do you? So that's usually what we think about. Now, thank God for that man. 
I mean, more people have come to know Jesus through his ministry than any one unique person ever that's lived in history. But there was a, there was a special gift on that man. He would walk into a stadium with 40,000 people and he could speak because of the anointing and the gifting that was on. He could speak to every single person. It didn't matter where they were on their journey with God. He could nail everybody in there. And he'd get done. He'd go, okay, I want you to come on down here. And then everybody get up and walk down. And we're sitting here, and I just want to tell you, that's not what I'm going to say to you today. It didn't. I, I, I have a real desire. I'm going to tell you what my goals are, my desire. I hope that you'll leave with a clear knowledge of what the gospel is. And you'll be encouraged in Jesus' gospel. And you'll understand who we need to be sharing the gospel with. And you'll have a value for how we all need to be ministering this gospel to everybody that's around us all the time. And that you'll accept the privilege that we have to share Jesus' gospel. That's, that's our goals, okay? So I hope that when we're done, that's where we're at. I'm a teacher, okay? So I'm just going to let you know. I'm going to look at my notes. And, but I'm going to be communicating effectively with you. Fair enough. And I have some slides. And we're all family, right? So, good, good. And I'm not on payroll here, so nobody's going to fire me. So, we're, we're family. The gospel. Did you know that in Jesus' time, the word gospel was a completely common word? Everybody heard it all the time, even before Jesus came. It was just a common word. And then Jesus came along with a gospel. So what is a gospel? It's news. People would describe it as news that brings great joy. The, the, the Greek word is evangelion. News that brings great joy. It also means, this is really cool. If we look at the next slide. Something that the, that the king or the emperor did on your behalf that you could never do for yourself. Isn't that interesting? And it also refers to history-making, world-shaping reports of political, military, and societal victories. And when we hear that word today, our minds immediately tend to associate it with spirituality. Don't you? You, and like, even if we just went out and went up to Arboretum and went to Chopped and sat and was in the next line, the line next to somebody as you're going in to get your uh, Mexicali salad that Lola gets every time she goes in there. Um, and, they, and they said, hey, if you heard the gospel, they would immediately have religious connotation to that. Back then they didn't. It was not a religious term. Isn't that interesting? This is important. When you, I'm I want to break paradigms, okay? I, I'm asking you to open your mind and open your heart and let me break some paradigms that we have in our religious culture that confine us and keep us and limit us because we're not all gifted like that man we just saw. It was, originally this word was political in nature. So in the Greco-Roman world, from the time of Alexander the Great 
into the Roman Empire, this word was used to refer to history-making, world-shaping reports of political, military, or societal victories. So let me give you an example. In 490 BC, Greece was the first country, the first culture to ever experience an experiment with democracy. Do you know that? I had the real privilege in 1976 to go study. My parents gave this to me as a gift. I went and I studied in Greece during that summer, during my, I was a, between my sophomore and junior years. You can do the math, I'm old. So I went to Greece and we had college professors there and we, we were studying ancient Greek culture and the rise of democracy. And they put us on a bus one time and the professor didn't tell us where we were going. We're in Athens and we rode this road and we rode and we wound and we wound and we came to this ridge and there was a pull-off there. And you could tell it's kind of a tourist pull-off. And we got off and there were other tourists there. And we, we got out and we looked and he said, do you know the, the ridge just dropped down like that for about a hundred yards and then it ran out flat to the ocean. And there was this curved, huge, huge bay that was there, perfect bay. And he said, do you know where you are? And we're going, no. He goes, you're at Marathon. He said, those are the plains of Marathon. He said, the Greeks were experimenting with democracy. And you have to think about this. Every culture up to this point had a king or an emperor or a brute that ran the, nobody shared power ever. And the Greeks formed a senate, and they said, we're going to rule ourselves. And the Persians heard about this across the Aegean, and they thought, these guys are weak. They don't have a king. We can go conquer them. And everybody around the world, it's been going on for history, you're always looking for another country to take over, right? And expand your kingdom and your footprint and what you have control and take their resources and make their people their slaves. And the Greek people started hearing, the Persians are coming. And the people in Greece were scared to death because the Persians outnumbered them four to one. And spy ships from the Greeks heard that and saw that the Persians were coming 40,000 soldiers and they're coming in their ships. Guess how many soldiers the Greeks had? 10,000. That's all. And when the spies came back and told them they had assembled their soldiers there in Athens, and when they heard that it was going to be soon that they were going to, in fact, they had to hurry to get to Marathon where the ships were going to land. And so these guys, you got to remember back then, it wasn't economical. They had these brass helmets, brass breastplates, brass shin guards, a shield, a spear, and a sword. And they marched all the way, and it was a forced march, which meant it was faster than usual because they had to get there to be ready for the guys when they landed. And when they got to the top of the ridge, the professor said the Persians were already unloading the boats. And they ran from that ridge two miles to confront them, 10,000 against 40,000. They beat the Persians. They wiped them out. And what was left of the Persian army got on their ships and sailed away. They had won the victory. What did that mean for everybody back in Greece? You're not going to be slaves. 
We're free. This changes your whole life. This changes our, this changes everything about everything. And they're going, we got to let them know. And so they picked this one guy that was a great runner who had already marched 26 miles. The last two running with all his gear on, fought a battle. And then he turned around and he stripped naked, which is what they would do. And he ran 26 miles back to Athens. And they saw him coming at the gate. And he said, we won. And he dropped dead right there. Isn't that amazing? So every time you hear somebody say, hey, they're going to run the, the Boston Marathon. Why do they call it the marathon? Because of that. It was a history-changing, life-altering event that occurred. And you know what the Greeks did? They assigned runners then, a couple of days later, to go out to all the cities and let everybody know. You want to know what they called those guys? They were going to send them the good news, which was a gospel, evangelion. So guess what they, those guys, guess who those guys were? They were, literally, they said, send out the evangelists. Now, what do evangelists do? They go tell everybody the good news. You get in the paradigm, the concept of what's going on? In fact, there's a, there's a historical writing of somebody describing the messenger. And it says, he's, the guy wrote, he said, the messenger appears, raises a big right hand in greeting, and calls out with a loud voice the good news, the gospel. That's not religious. That's societal, political, social, right? By his appearance, it is known already that he brings good news. Do people see that in you? Do people look at you and go, wow, I can tell from a distance there's something different about that person because his face shines, his spear is decked with laurel, his head is crowned, and he swings a branch of palms. And before he even gets there and says, we won, the city is celebrating. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. There's another example I'd share with you. Caesar Augustus, he's born named Octavian, and he became emperor. And after he became emperor, the other, the other uh, le leaders there in Rome named him. They chose to change his name to Caesar Augustus, and they declared that he was a son of God. So he was deity. Remember that, okay? Put that bookmark there. The Roman Empire had grown and actually had grown into Greece, and they had taken over Greece, but there was all this uh, uprising in Greece at the time, and infighting, and the Romans were really concerned and was starting to spread into other parts of the Roman Empire, and Augustus has just taken control, and they're concerned about this. In fact, um, Mark Anthony and Cleopatra VII saw this as a real opening to go take over Greece, and they were going to come do that. And Augustus built up his army, sent them down, and absolutely wiped out Mark Anthony and Cleopatra's army, destroyed them. And he brought what was called Pax Romana, 
Roman peace, the era of peace across Rome. Well, everybody was worried because they already, all the Romans were worried because they already knew there were all these uprisings. And they were concerned that their society was going to come, was going to fall apart. And they were concerned that if Mark Anthony and Cleopatra's armies won, what would happen to them? They become slaves. Everybody, every Roman citizen would become a slave to them. So when this victory was won, what do you think happened? They sent out evangelists to declare the good news. Because there was life-altering, history-changing news that had happened, that had been achieved by an emperor that these people could never do on their own. Nobody could go, well, this isn't right. I'm going to go take on Mark. You, you wouldn't have a chance, right? The odds are completely against you. And that's what happens when there's a gospel. Well, what's really interesting is Caesar, Augustus, was a contemporary of Jesus. Did you know that? In fact, in Luke 2.1, it says, now, those, now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census would be taken of all the inhabited earth. That's quite arrogant, isn't it? But that's what they knew. And so they actually, with that gospel, that it was actually declared the gospel of Caesar Augustus. They printed coins, and on those coins, it said the gospel of Caesar Augustus. In fact, it's believed that when someone came and presented a denarius to Jesus and said, hey, this has got Caesar on it, what should we do with it? And he said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and to God what's God's. And on that coin, it was talking about a gospel. Isn't that interesting? So gospel was all around, right? And people had their gospels. People understood that at the time. But Jesus started sharing a gospel. You need to recognize the danger in doing that. Could you imagine being Caesar Augustus and you've got a gospel? So well known, you're even printing it on the money. And you perceive yourself and everybody else perceives you as being a deity. And you're God. And you have this gospel, this good news of this God, this deity that has achieved something and won something for you that you could never achieve and win for yourself. Life-altering for you. And then this guy comes along. Kind of a hippie. Sandals, long hair. And he's going from town to town, and there's rumors that he's actually healing people. And you know what he's talking to people about? He's going to every village, and he said, I was sent for this purpose to declare the gospel of the kingdom. Now there's a rival gospel coming up. Guys, that was dangerous. I mean, people lost their lives for things like that. But here's the kind of stuff Jesus said and the kind of things that came with his gospel. There it is. The beginning of the good news, which is gr Greek, the word uh, gospel, evangelion, about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark, as he wrote that, he knew 
what this meant. And you need to understand, as he wrote that, it isn't just a religious context. It's a political, societal truth that he believed. The next scripture. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this evangelion, this awesome news. Somebody's going to accomplish something for you that you could never accomplish for yourself. And it is life-altering, history-changing. Can you see the context that people, when they're hearing this, that they're hearing this in? The next one. Uh, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. Matthew, Jesus, uh, Matthew saying in his, in his gospel, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Well, what is it that's going to be proclaimed? Good news. Your condition and your fears that you had that controlled you and that you lived in an intimidation of. Someone has come, a king has come with unbelievable power that only a king can accomplish this because only they have the power necessary to foist this change. And God has come and has set you free. You will never be a slave again. And that is going to be proclaimed to every nation, and the end will come. It's happening. I'm blessed to be part of a ministry that's in, engaged in that. And going, and like former Muslims are learning to share the good news with people that are captured by Another gospel, the gospel of, of uh, Muhammad, and it's captured them, and they can be set free by that. And then, do we have another one? Is there another one after that? For I'm not, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this good news, this evangelion, for it is the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. And then the final one. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, Paul is saying, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, of the truth, the gospel, the evangelion, the victory, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So what's the good news? The good news was Jesus is the king of kings. God in his sovereignty, when Jesus went to the cross, what was the sign that was put over his head? King. Everybody thought, what a weak king. And it was the most powerful thing that ever happened in the history of mankind, that cross. It won a victory that changed everything forever, changed history, changed you, changed me, is still changing me. We want to talk about that in a minute. He satisfied our debt of sin. He did something for us we could never do for ourselves. We're no longer slaves to sin. He overcame death by his resurrection. 
We don't need to fear death any longer. You ever sat with somebody that's dying and they're not afraid? That is so cool. I mean, how many people are scared to death of death? I'm not afraid. The gospel is our truth. It holds us. It secures us. It tells us everything we need to know about the nature of our Christ, doesn't it? We have the best news ever. It's news of great joy. So Jesus brought life-altering, history-making, world-shaping news of great joy. The angels that appeared to the shepherds, what did he say was going to be news of? Great joy. It's not something that is happening. It's something that has happened. It happened in history. The battle was won. Just like the Greeks against the Persians there at Marathon. And it's for us and it's for the whole world. So there's three groups we need to share the gospel with. We have a concept of what the gospel is. Yeah? We tend to think of it just in religious terms. No, it's a, it's a social term. It's a political, it's a military term. So there's three groups that we share the gospel with. The first people that we share the gospel with are those that don't know Jesus yet, right? I, there's, I'm going to go ahead and put my, if you could uh, put that, that uh, there you go, that graph up there. I, I really want to put something in front of you here. When we think of the gospel and sharing the gospel, I'm gonna, this is from a guy at Wheaton University, Dr. Engel. And he, this is known as the Engel scale. And all of us are somewhere on this scale. If you think of, if we could go even worse, even more decadent to the left and put Hitler down here to the left and Billy Graham and Mother Teresa and uh, Davide, Coletta, all the way over here to the right. No, we'd have to put your wife over there, I think. <laughs> we're all somewhere on this. So we're either resistant. In fact, there's people hostile to the gospel, aren't there? And then there's people resistant. There's people that are indifferent. And then you can become receptive. And then you can become seeking. And then you can come to this place to where you believe this gospel this true thing, this victory that's been, and you realize how it can set you free, and you move from minus one to plus one, and then suddenly you start connecting with other believers, and you realize you're part of a family, right? You're part of a family, and you start growing, and then you start serving, and then you start discipling, and you become a mature believer, Right? So we're all somewhere on that scale. We tend, the reason we kind of get the pucker factor when somebody comes in and says, I'm going to talk to you about sharing the gospel, is we think the Billy Graham thing. Sharing the gospel is taking somebody from minus one to plus one. That's our paradigm. I'm going to blow that up. It's not. Give you an example. Uh, I coached soccer for a long time, and I was coaching a club team. And uh, I coached as a believer, but the majority of my kids weren't following the Lord on this team. Uh, this was the early 80s, and 
had a great team. We won the state cup. We went off to Memphis for the nationals. The really good team. But we had a goalkeeper on this team named Josh Prego. Josh was one of the most angry, bitter young people I've ever worked with. He came to practice and he came to a game with one primary goal. He wanted to get in a fight. It was how he released things. The guys were scared of him at practice. The guy was crazy. He would come out and take you on. If you're coming in, the guy's just backed off and let him have the ball. I mean, he's looking for an excuse to get into it with somebody. I, I spent time with Josh. Of course, I put boundaries around him. I'd have to sit him, not play him because of things he's doing. But Josh knew I loved him. Okay, end of that story. Where was Josh on that scale probably? Minus five. He, he was not resistant. He was hostile to the gospel. But I met Josh where he was. And I shared with him through my life and I shared my testimony. I told my team at the end of the year, I'm going to tell you my story. And I said, I took all this time to work with you. You're going to listen to my story. Sit down. And I told them about, I heard this unbelievable news as a 15-year-old kid who was so insecure because I wanted to belong so bad. And somebody explained a gifted, anointed guy that just lives right there between that minus one and that plus. There's people out there. In fact, we know fivefold gifts like apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. There's people that live in that space. They can walk in a room and they can... The anointing on them, they can take people from minus five to plus one like that. It's on, that's not us. We're not all like that, are we? So how do I share the gospel? I go to where people are. I meet them where they are. And I share this amazing news. As I discern and I have the wisdom and I seek the Lord and Holy Spirit gives me and the boldness, because like Paul, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not going to hide it. I get 20 years later, I get a phone call. 20 years. It was a landline. You know, with the corners. Okay, for some of you out there, telephones used to be connected to a wall. And it had a wire to the receiver. And I picked that thing up, and there's no caller ID. Hello? Coach! immediately, I've coached hundreds of kids. I go, okay, it's a soccer player that I've coached. I said, yeah, and he goes, it's Josh. I'm going, you got to help me out, man. I've coached a lot of Josh. No, Josh Prego. And immediately I went, like, why is Josh Prego calling me? I said, Josh, what's going on? He goes, I could hear it. I cry every time I tell them the story. He said, Coach, I'm walking with Jesus. I'm alive in Jesus. And you could just hear the life coming out of this guy. And I have to tell you, I was like those people that were praying for Peter in prison. And when God let him out, came up, they're going, don't bother us right now. We're praying for Peter. <laughs> I was going like, that's impossible. I said, Josh, tell me about that. He said, Coach, I, I was so angry, I was so bitter. He said, I just went in and I tried to medicate myself with drugs and alcohol. And he said, I was just in the worst place. And the judge gave me the option of going to jail or going to treatment. And by God's grace, I went to a Youth for Christ treatment center. And he said, a man met me and walked with me and took me. I'll put it in my terms. 
from minus one to plus one. He said, but I had to call you. You were the first person I had to call because you were the first Christian I was ever around to where I thought, hey, maybe this could be real. Do you hear that? Do you know what I was ministering? The gospel. And I was meeting him where he was at. That's awesome. He moved from minus one, from, from hostile to the gospel. He moved to where he was resistant because he had met somebody where he's going, maybe this could be possible. That's awesome movement. And then God used somebody else and other people to bring him to that place. Do you understand what I'm saying? We minister the gospel to everybody around us all the time, every day. The real question is, are we doing a good job or not? But you're doing it. You might be sitting there going, well, I don't know if that's for me. Too bad. You're following Jesus. You're, you're living it. You're expressing it. Sharing the gospel is discerning where people are and meeting them and sharing with wisdom life that can help them move. We want to see movement, right, towards God. So we share the gospel with people that don't know Jesus yet. I can't see my paper. So here's the second group we share the gospel with. We share the gospel with people that do know Jesus. Do you know that? I need the gospel today. See, as soon as I say that, some of us are struggling, going, well, wait a minute, the gospel, what do you mean you share the gospel with people that do not? They're already Christians. I thought the deal for the gospel was to get you to move from minus one to plus one, right? And then when, once that's done, good, done and dust. Gospel did its job, that's awesome. No, the gospel's relevant to you and me every day, all the time. Think of us as solar panels. It is the sun, that declaration, that victory that was won for you and me by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is relevant for me every day. I need that shining on me. It's the energy that I draw off of because God has won something for me that I could never win for myself. And it's relevant to me all the time. We live in a broken world. And we all experience brokenness. Man, if I can encourage you in something, if you sniff brokenness, think gospel. Not minus... Minus one, plus one. Think unbelievable news. Unbelievable news. Life-altering, history-changing news. Bring that to your mind. Let me give you an example. Here's a friend of mine. His name's David Adhikari. He works with us in Bangladesh. This guy oversees about 10 ministries. There's thousands of Bengalis that are impacted by this guy's ministry. Super mature in the Lord. His father was the pastor of the biggest church 
in Bangladesh. Like, I, I, I'm around David and I go, this guy's a real deal, man. <laughs> this guy's amazing. I'm giving you this context. David was going to meet with a partner that we work with because he had heard about the sports ministry that's going on in Kenya and the people we work with there. And so he arranged to go see them so he could get a bigger picture of how sports ministries, there's about 1,200 sports ministry teams in Kenya now, reaching kids that would never be reached. So he was going to go there, and he had a layover in Paris. And so he said, I'll take a couple of days, and I've never been to Paris. I'll enjoy that. He gets off the plane. He gets on the train to go to his hotel in Paris, and these four guys come up and rob him. All his credit cards, his passport. For those of you that have traveled, you know how important that is. All of his documents, everything. His money, he had cash on. All his money gone. Everything's gone. He gets to his hotel, finds a way to get online, and writes myself and some of his other friends. He's devastated. And he wrote and he told us the story of what happened. And he said, please pray for me. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, what do I say to a guy like David Adhikari? That guy's so mature. What do I say? And then it just dawned on me, I, I need to preach the gospel to this guy. He needs to know, dude, the, the Persians' butts were kicked on Marathon. Remember that. Remember that. So I want to show you what I wrote him. And I, I'm, I'm just sharing this vulnerably, okay? But I'm just telling you, this is what I, I was sitting there going, I need to encourage this guy. And he needs the gospel. So I wrote him and I said, I know you're so disappointed, my brother. I do encourage you to give thanks in the middle of all of this, not for the circumstance, but in the middle of this circumstance. As soon as you start doing that, it starts changing things, doesn't it? Thanksgiving starts making the shift. So I encouraged him to do that. And, I, and then I preached the gospel to him. I said, man, God loves you and he sees you right where you are. I also said, it's great. You weren't physically hurt. These were some big African guys that had cornered him on the train. He is supreme. He's in control. I could have said, he's got coins with his face on it that everybody uses every day. And you know what? He's a redeemer by his nature. He can be trusted even when circumstances seem so wrong. We have a hope that far exceeds the world we see and touch. We're aliens passing through this temporal world. People can take your money, but not the kingdom that you have as a treasure. I'm praying all these things for you, brother. What did I just preach to him? That's the gospel, man. You need the gospel. Man, when I have a hard time, when Bill found out that he had pancreatic cancer, you know what he needed? He needed good news. He needed life-altering, history-changing news that imposes itself over the circumstances that he faced right then. Are you... Are you seeing the, the mind shift and the heart shift for us? It's, yes, it's minus one to plus one. Yes, I'm thankful for Billy Graham, but 
He needs the gospel. You need the gospel. You need the gospel. I need the gospel. When I'm in a bad place, which I might be at some time, and you're wondering, what in the world do I say to David? Guess what I need? I need good news about who God is in the moment of that time. It's basic stuff that we need to hear. I need to hear that stuff. Right, EJ? You're going to preach it to me, right, brother? You will. I know you will. Boy, I don't know how you do this, David. Who's the third most important person that you preach the gospel to? Yourself. We need to be good at this. I'll just give you an example. I'm not going to read the thing, so you know, don't put that up there. It's going to take too long. David, an example is David hadn't become king yet. He was living in Ziklag and some other town I can't pronounce. And they had gone out and were taking care of some bad guys. And they came back to town and other forces came in and had taken Ziklag, burned it to the ground, taken the wives, the children and everything. Hadn't killed anybody, thank the Lord. All their possessions and they're gone. And the soldiers came back and they looked at that and it says that they wept till they had no more energy. Then it says... Then the leaders and the soldiers began to conspire to stone David. You ever been a leader? Things didn't go the way everybody thought it was going to go. And next thing you know, they're holding a meeting and you're going to get stoned. And I'm not talking with weed. And so here's David. And what's... In the middle of this whole story, there's this one little sentence, and it says, and David went and encouraged himself in the Lord. He pulled away, and in the middle of all the static and all the stuff that was going on, there was a gospel going around from that other group that had come and taken them, and they're telling everybody, hey, we just took David's kids, Another, a competing gospel, Right? And he pulled him away and he encouraged What do you think he said to himself? Honestly, anybody want to speak up? What do you think he remembered? Pardon me? God's faithful. Absolutely. Do you ever have to tell yourself that? Yeah. What else? What, what event do you think he recalled? Pardon me? God. That's awesome. Yeah, he's faithful, and I saw him faithful when I took a rock and killed that guy nine feet tall. But there's another event that happened that started this whole thing. He, yeah, yeah. A man came to him, looked at all his brothers, went, no, 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 there's got to be one more. Yeah, he's up in the hills, came out, poured the oil, and said, you will be king. All of those things. I know God's faithful. I saw. Do you ever have to remind yourself of these things? You know what you're doing? You're preaching the gospel to yourself. You're preaching good news, life-altering news. It's more true than your circumstances. Amen? Amen. You need, you need the gospel. You need to learn to preach the gospel to yourself. We need to go to the Lord when we face challenging times. Need to just tell ourselves, God sees me. I mean, what is the gospel? So what is the gospel for us? 
I think it's this simple. First of all, God had a plan. And he has a way that he intended everything to be. And it was beautiful. In fact, everything else he made, he says, good. And then he said, this is very good. And he walked intimately with us. And that's his desire. He wants to have this intimate, real, live relationship with us, that he walks with us in the cool of the evening. And there's nothing between us. But to have that and for us to be able to say yes and that I love you, I had to have enough independence that I could make that choice. But in the middle of making choices, I made a really bad choice. And in fact, the choice I made was, I want to be God. If you don't believe that's true, just try pulling out of the parking lot today. It starts there, doesn't it? And everywhere we go, everybody wants to be God. But God loved the world so much that he would not leave us there. And we could not solve this. It's kind of like some Greek guy leaving his olive plants and going and trying to take on the Persians. You can't win. It's unwinnable for you. But a king came and with his forces and his authority and with the cross and the resurrection, he defeated our enemy once for all, for all mankind. And he paid the price for you. He put on the armor. He went and fought. He sweated. He ran. He fought. He defeated. And then he came back and he declared, you are free. You don't have to be. And you know what? I am going to restore my relationship with you. And I'm going to walk in intimacy with you. Now, you know what? We live in this space between the cross and when Jesus returns and makes all things new, that that's not perfect. And I make mistakes. And I face challenges. And we still have a broken world. One day, all things will be made new. It's going to be awesome. But it's not yet. And when I face these challenges, when I make the mistakes and I make bad choices, guess what I need? I need the gospel. I need to remind myself, God sees me right now. He knows me. He has a plan. Did you know that he has a plan for your life? The Bible tells us before the foundations of the world, he has a plan for you. I pray that over my grandsons all the time. Their destiny, Lord, their destiny. Their de I pray that over my sons, their destiny. Their I, I want that for myself. Martin Luther said, I preach the gospel to myself every day. What would be an example of that? We're not going to read it because I'm at the... David Coletta, 15 minutes over time period. You guys okay? I'm going to wrap this up. Paul and Silas get beat up, thrown in prison. And what do they do? They worship. You know what they were doing while they were, they were preaching the gospel to themselves? They were good at it, man. Don't you want to be good at that? I will put this quote up. It's been said... Every day you preach yourself either a gospel of your loneliness, inability, and lack of resources, or you faithfully preach to yourself the good news, the evangelia of the Lord Jesus Christ. People that don't know Jesus need this good news. People that do know Jesus need this good news. And then you need this good news. Right? This is who we preach it to. So I'm challenging you. Jesus 
said in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Wow. Good news to everybody. Guys, it didn't like, I'm not trying to paint you in a corner and going, so go do it, you guys. What are you doing? You know, God, come on, get on the, get on the game. You know, I'm not trying to give you some, I'm telling you, you have this incredible privilege. When you go to work tomorrow, ask the Lord, where is Bob? Where is Sally? Where are they in their journey? Help me to meet them there. Help me to move them from skeptical to hungry. That's preaching the gospel. Amen? Hey, maybe sometime, one day, you'll be with somebody and they'll be going, and you can sense they've moved from from just hunger to real desire and even repentance. And you go, hey, have you ever received that gospel for yourself, that incredible news, this victory that's been won for you by a king that you could never win for yourself, that will alter everything for you? He sees you. He knows you. He has a plan for you. He wants to redeem you. You can't do it for yourself. And he will bring you into a whole new kingdom, a whole new way of life. Let's, let's be, and then let's be with each other, okay? As we're in our home groups and we're with each other, that there's a, a, a brother here that's from another country and he needed sponsorship to be able to stay. His whole family is going to be shipped back. I've been praying with him. But as, as I've met with him several times, talked to him and he's in the middle, you can sense the pressure. I'm ministering the gospel. Dude, Jesus has won. He knows you and he sees you. He has a plan for you. It's beautiful. I heard today they have sponsorship. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. I have another friend that shared that they had a biopsy and they need to go in or that they had a scan. They need to go in for a biopsy on Monday. What do they need? They need good news. Just like David Adhikari needed good news, just needed to be reminded. I've got to learn when I face the challenges, I need to become really good at preaching the gospel to myself. Amen? And especially leaders. You've got to be good at this. So I want us, I want us to receive this incredible joy. I don't want us to be ashamed of the gospel. The final point I'll make to you is, could you imagine somebody in Greece and there's a guy, a neighbor down the road that was on vacation. He was on Mykonos, right, for vacation. He came back and he hadn't heard that the Greeks had defeated the Persians. And he's still thinking, I'm going to be a slave. I'm going to be a slave. And he was in, lived in so much fear that he was disassembling his stone barn to build walls around his home for when the Persians came. If you were his neighbor, would you sit there and go, well, I, I, can't, I, I can't share the gospel. Could you imagine if you had the good news? Dude, what are you doing? Put the rocks back. There's been a victory won for you. You are free. You can be free. Would I just sit there and watch him disassemble his barn? You have this news. 
You have it. We steward that. Come on, guys. Let's be aware of the people around us and walk with them. Love them right where they're at. And it, maybe you just have a Josh Prego time with some people and help them move from hating God to where, hey, maybe there is a God. Praise God. He'll add to that. But I want us to be open to Would you be willing to be open to that and for God to use you? People need this. They desperately, desperately need this. They're living as if the Persians have taken over. And we can share that with them. Hey, thank you for watching the Sermon of the Week. We pray that you were blessed by it and you felt prompted to act upon what the Spirit of God was saying to you. If you live in the Charlotte area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at one of our weekend gatherings. That way you can find out more about our church family and what we value most. We encourage you also to give to our ministry so that we might continue spreading the gospel of Jesus to our city and throughout the world. To do so, you simply go to missioncommunity.cc, click on the give button, and the rest is simple. Lastly, I would encourage you to check out the remaining content on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way you will receive all of the reminders for fresh content that we put out. Have a wonderful rest of your day. May God bless you and thank you again for watching this week's message.